Now tonight I said I'd speak on making all things new. And if you'll turn to these passages in Isaiah, Isaiah 65, Behold, I, verse 17, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. And then in the last chapter, verse 22, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. The theme song, or the theme song, or the theme of the World Council meeting, they're going to have their World Assembly in Uppsala, Sweden. In July, the ICC will have its World Assembly in Cape May in August. And these two will be brought in, certainly in relationship to each other in the public mind. But the theme of the World Council is uh, making all things new. And as I indicated this morning, it's a very excellent theme for them because it's uh, phrased very much like the word peace. We're for peace and the communists are for peace. And they all come under the peace canopy, but each one has a different definition of what they're talking about. But uh, when they talk about making all things new, the communists are telling us on every hand they're making all things new, new society, new man, new world. But Jesus Christ is making all things new, but what he's doing is the exact opposite from what the communists are doing. But as we will be expounding the World Council theme, I think it's most appropriate for them because the liberal churches have moved over into the area of thinking that the communists have on making things new. While with us the way to make things new, the only way things can be made new is by the power of God and through the preaching of the gospel. Now we have here these climactic verses at the close of the prophecies of Isaiah. And in these verses, the prophet goes clear beyond all things to the very end. He goes beyond the millennium. Beyond the millennium. Until we have the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. He comes to the final consummation of God's program for his people and for his redeemed. And in this text in Isaiah, where he is clearly referring to the final, final consummation, he says, your seed shall remain. Your seed shall remain. And the place where God's work of making all things new begins is in your heart. The place where the beginning of the new creation first shows its life is in the new birth. Right here in us. This is the beginning of it. And we have received the gospel and we have been born into that kingdom and we are now the children of God. And he who hath begun a good work in you is able to perfect it. And I spoke about the means of grace today for our people and how we must attend to these means in order that we may grow in the knowledge of the Lord. And beloved, if you're going to be a member of this church, this pastor wants you to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. We want you to grow in the knowledge of the revealed truth which he has given unto us. And it's only that I can say to you people right this very moment as we stand at the close of this year, 
Your pastor's been here these 34 years, going into 35 years. And I'm asked now occasionally as I go around, the pastor say, well, Dr. McIntyre, tell us what was the secret of your ministry. 34 years in your church, the secret of the ministry of your pastor in this pulpit is that I have sought faithfully to preach the word of God from this place. That's the secret of it. The only thing that'll build a church, the only thing that'll hold a church, the only thing that'll move in the hearts of people, the only thing that'll bring people back after they've drifted a while, the only thing that'll do this is the word of the living God. And this word has in it the power to bring the new creation, to bring the seed, which is the new birth. And we have it. All right, beginning where we are, therefore, tonight, we possess this life, and we're at the end of the year. I preached a sermon yesterday in the dedication of this church that I've never preached before. I'll give you the outline of it. Will you turn, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? I've never preached this sermon before. But it's a blessed, blessed message. And in this great passage where the Apostle Paul says that uh, seeing we have this ministry, we faint not, uh, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. And he speaks here first of the fact that we have a ministry. God has given us a ministry. And then this ministry has certain uh, certain things which are accomplished. We're renouncing certain things and then we're manifesting the truth as we present the message. And then we come on down to verse 7. We have this treasure. We have a ministry and that ministry produces a treasure. And this ministry brings into being this treasure which is in an earthen vessel and it's the treasure of life eternal. It's the treasure of the knowledge of God which we see in the face of Jesus Christ. And then if you'll move down in this fourth chapter, I developed this yesterday in the, my dedication sermon. I'll preach it to you some of these days, but I've never preached this sermon before. And as you move into this fourth chapter, you find that the apostle speaks about the continuing of, what, of this life which is in this, in this earthen vessel. And he says uh, down in verse 11, For we which live, are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in what? In what? In the church? No. In what? Your mortal bodies. And we have a ministry, that ministry produces a treasure which we come into the possession of. And that treasure is in an earthen vessel. And that earthen vessel is made out of fingers and hands and flesh and blood and hair. And we have this treasure, but it's in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God. God's the one who gives us power. God's the one who gives us this life. And this is the new creation. And then in this mortal body, in this little tabernacle, in this which is called the temple, we are delivered every day unto death for Jesus' sake in order that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in us. And beloved, Jesus Christ is to live in us. And Jesus Christ is to manifest his grace and his glory through us. And to me to live is Christ. Now that's the new creation. That's it. 
I'm going to make all things new. And he begins by giving us a new nature. And it begins here. And then he gives us Christ. And then when we leave the body, we go into the presence of the Lord. And then we're waiting for that great and glorious day when he'll raise us up from the dead. And we shall have new and glorious bodies. And that's another one of just the unfolding stages of his mighty work of making all things new. And we tonight, as we come to the close of this year, think of that moment, that glorious moment, when he shall utter these words of grace and power, when he shall speak these words of glory and victory, and we shall arise out of the dust of the earth with our new and glorified bodies, and we'll look back down upon this little globe to which we've been confined all these centuries, and we'll cry out, O oh, death, what is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory, or oh, a new creation, a resurrection in the likeness and the glory of the Son of God. Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I pray that 1968 will see more people coming into the church, more people coming out of the apostasy, more people being saved, more people being brought out of the world, more people saying that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to identify ourselves with these churches and with the Collingswood Church. We're going to identify with these churches that are preaching the word and are presenting the truth as it's found in Jesus Christ and are calling men to lives of holiness and lives of cleanliness and lives of purity, and lives which manifest the grace and the power of God from day to day. Now, let's turn back to the Isaiah passage. And as we turn back to this Isaiah passage, and it is a beautiful, beautiful climax and consummation for the whole prophecy of Isaiah, we find that there is an intermingling here between the millennial period, the millennial reign, and the final reign of righteousness in the new heavens and the new earth. But uh, I want to read it, and let's look at it, because even during the millennial reign, when Christ is here, we're going to have the interesting circumstances in which children will still be born, There'll still be those here on the earth, while as the church, as the body that's been caught out at the resurrection, will be coming back and forth. And during this millennial period, beloved, there's going to be a period in which the skies will be full of people moving back and forth, and the earth will be full of people, and we're going to see a magnificent display of, of the power of God as the human race moves about in its different categories to which we will belong. But notice, beginning in uh, verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Now that's after the millennial period. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. Now beginning with verse 19, he says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and my joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her. 
nor the voice of crying. Here's weeping and crying in Jerusalem as we see it today. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. For the child shall not die, or shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner, being an hundred years old, uh, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of that. In other words, the Lord's going to give us a reign of peace, the millennial reign of our Savior here on this earth. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. We do not know exactly what the conditions of this earth were before the fall of our first parents, but we know that they were perfect, and the creation as created, as made by God, was good, and he saw that it was good, he saw that it was good, he saw that it was good. It wasn't until after the fall of our first parents that the curse fell on the ground. Nature, the curse fell on the ground. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. And as a result of that curse, the whole creation was changed as of that time. And it has continued. However, from the time of Adam until the time of the flood, the Bible makes it clear to us that conditions were different even then. For we didn't have rain, the earth was watered by mist. There must have been some sort of a cloud or some sort of a, an atmosphere different from what we know today. And it uh, existed during what we call the uh, antediluvian period, before the flood. And during that period, men lived long lives. Methuselah, uh, Enoch, the, uh, the uh, uh, sequence of life during that period uh, had a longevity to it that we do not possess at the present moment. And just what the conditions were on this earth from the period of the fall to the flood, the judgment of the flood, they were considerably different. And frankly, I'll tell you right now, you students in colleges where you're dealing with geology and questions of this sort, I'm afraid that a great deal of the present calculations in the field of geology are all mixed up and all wrong because they do not calculate the condition of the earth from the time of the fall of Adam until the flood and the judgment of the flood. When the foundations were broken up, when the foundations of the deep were broken up, and when all this sort of thing took place, and then you have that other reference, the earth was divided in the days of Peleg. What took place in these hours? Nobody knows. And undoubtedly, many of our present so-called scientific calculations extending back for these so-called many, many millenniums are all off in their calculations, and they're all wrong because they just simply didn't realize that the conditions of this earth were different at that time. We didn't have any rain. It didn't rain until the flood. 
When the flood came, something different took place. Until the flood, they'd never seen a rainbow. There'd never been a rainbow until the flood. That's as clear as could be. But conditions were different. But until the flood came, the rain, people said they couldn't believe this man. Here was this man, Noah, this preacher. He went around telling everybody that if they didn't repent, it was going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And they laughed at him and they scoffed at him because nobody had ever seen any rain. There wasn't any rain here during that period. And life was... Uh, was lengthened to 800, 900 years. Methuselah was the older one, the oldest one of that period, as reported here in the back. But since the flood, since the judgment upon this whole world that God pronounced, and all life was destroyed, and only Noah and his family remained, since that time, beloved, life has been shortened. Life has been shortened. And your span and my span is three score years and ten. That's what Moses said. And if by reason of strength they be four score, still is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for we are soon cut off and we fly away. Well, now during the millennial reign, when Christ comes back and the curse is relieved and the leopard and the lamb and the cockatrice and the little child shall put his hand on the hole of the ass, and on the den of the cockatrice, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. We're going to see during this period of the millennium an entirely different order so far as nature is concerned from the order in which you and I are presently living. And that is prophesied here when the Lord shall come and he shall reign and he shall take power. And beloved, as I look about this old world and I fly around it and see these different things and you see the way we're changing, changing our cities around and trying to fix up a few little things. We're just a puny bunch of little old ants working down here and most of us don't know what we're doing. You wait till the king of kings and the prince of prince get some power in here and he wants to straighten out the situation on the earth. He'll just say to that mountain, be removed and we'll have it all taken care of. He'll say to this over here, be removed. And the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover this earth during the millennium like the waters cover the sea. That's the promise. That will be the reality. And none shall hurt and none shall destroy. And all shall look forward to that great city of Jerusalem where this great prince will sit upon the throne of his father David and he shall rule and reign with a rod of iron. Now that's just ahead of us. Things were different from the creation to Adam. Somebody said to me, how long did Adam live before he fell? We don't know. How long was the creation in this perfect estate? How long did, garden, did Adam stay in the Garden of Eden? How long did he enjoy that Garden of Eden before it was taken away and he was driven out? We don't know how long that period was. And I've had many, I, I said one day on the radio that I didn't doubt maybe that what Adam was even going up in the sky and back and forth. I don't know what Adam did, but I know that Adam was perfect. And I know that Adam thought the thoughts of God after him. And I know that Adam communed with God. And I know that Adam had a command from God to subdue and rule over the creation. I know he received that. And we're going to find out when we get the story of Adam that Adam had many, many glories, much knowledge, all these things. And when he was excluded from the garden, and when his mind was darkened, and when the curse of death fell upon his body, and he went down into the dust, that all this knowledge that Adam had from the Father was lost to the human race. And we've been struggling around ever since trying to get a little of it back. That's what we've been trying to do. And then during the reign of the uh, 
Uh, the antediluvian uh, saints, Enoch and the men that walked with God and Methuselah, their lives were lengthened, but they didn't have rain. They didn't have to have raincoats and rubbers to walk around on. They weren't troubled. The earth was watered by a mist that came down. That's what we're told. It wasn't until Noah got up and began to preach. And people scoffed at the old preacher, just like they scoff at us today when we say the Lord's going to come down in heaven with clouds. He's going to come in the glory, and he's going to raise all the dead. And we preach and talk to people about that sort of a vision, and they think that we are absolutely crazy. That's what they think about us. But we preach it just like Noah preached, that the rains were going to fall from the heavens. The water would come down out of the skies. And it did come just like Noah said. And from the day of the judgment of the flood, and when God removed iniquity and judgment, and only Noah and his family were left, things have been different down here. They've been different. And it's the failure of our world of geology, and especially in the geological area, not to recognize these things which are here in the Bible. That's gotten them all confused and mixed up. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And that's what we're going to find out one of these days. But, oh, beloved, when that time comes and he gathers us to himself and we have the tribulation and it's over, then he'll come in his glorious unveiling, in his majesty and all of his power, and he'll land in that day where he left. He'll come right back to the Mount of Olives. And then he'll come as the king and the Lord, and he'll rule, and he'll give peace, and he will take this curse off this ground, and he will give us 1,000 years of peace, and he'll demonstrate to humanity, he'll demonstrate it to history, he'll demonstrate it to the full revelation of hell itself, that only the Son of God can bring peace, can bring peace, and he will do it. And then at the close of that glorious reign in which you and I are to take part, we are to live and reign with him a thousand years. But during that reigning period, we will have liberty and have access to the heavens and to the skies with our new and glorified bodies which are going to be given to us. Beloved, as I stand in this pulpit at the close of 1967 and just unfold to you a little of the beauty and the glory and the pattern of what God has to us, oh, beloved, let us look at these things which are to come to pass and let's consider in the light of all this truth what manner of men we ought to be down here now. Is there anything else to live for except Jesus? You know, I told you the story about the lady I met on the airplane this yesterday. She was quite a lady. And I, I said to her, I said, lady, uh, I said, what are you living for? Sometimes when you just meet a person you know, you don't know them and they don't know you, you can talk pretty straight to them. I said, lady, what are you living for? She looked at me. I said, yes, lady, what are you living for? Oh, she says, I have a, a nephew, I think she said, that I, I want to see uh, educated. And then she says, I want to travel. I didn't say one word, I just looked at her. She says, well, it's not all selfish. It's not all selfish. And she looked at me and I said, Lady, want me to tell you what I'm living for? She says, what? I says, I'm living for the glory of God. I says, I'm serving Jesus Christ. I said, that's the only one I'm interested in. It's serving Jesus Christ. She looked at me. 
She was in one world going to hell, I'm in another world going to heaven, and we didn't make connection. That's it. Didn't make any connection. Beloved, when you realize what's ahead of us, a millennium, a living and reigning with Christ a thousand years. Oh, when I think of this, beloved, I said this morning, and I'm beginning to think of, we've got a Christian high school to take care of now, and we've got an ICC Congress to finance, and we've got all sorts of things, and I begin to tell everybody, live on just as little as you can. Of course, don't, don't do anything you shouldn't, but save all you can to give to the Lord's work. That's true. Only the investments that we make in the Lord's work are the ones that are going to pay the dividends after we leave this place. And it is the returns that we are to receive from a life that's dedicated to Christ and live for his glory that we must be concerned about tonight. Now, if you'll turn back here to this great passage in Isaiah 66. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Now we go beyond the millennium. We come to the very end of it all. A new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And Isaiah says the one thing that will stand out in that great day will be the fact that God has preserved your seed. God has preserved your seed. And also your name. Your name. I know an awful lot of people. I remember I had a chance to have some fellowship with Dr. Ketchum in Chicago. We were together for a little while and we talked over some things. And You just love to meet a fellow like that because your minds are thinking exactly alike, you know. And then you, you begin to talk and you have wonderful, wonderful fellowship. But you know, Dr. Ketchum is going to be Dr. Ketchum for all eternity. He's going to have a name. And all these people that don't like me, whether they like it or not, they're going to have to deal with Carl McIntyre for all eternity. I'm just going to be there. And we'll get away from it. And I remember how Dr. Ketchum told one day when way back there in 1955 and he was talking he said some of these fundamentalists that take the middle of the road position and don't like our separated staff they hate us all that actually they'd be willing to stay out of heaven if they didn't have to be near us. They'd be willing to stay out of this place if they just didn't have to be near us. But this says your name is going to remain and your seed is going to be preserved. And there's nothing greater than that what you have done for Christ will be attached to your name forever. What you have done for Christ, beloved, I'm not interested in treasures down here. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust will corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Down here the moths come and the rust comes and the corruption abides and death washes away. But in the place where eternity abides, in a new heaven and a new earth, your name shall abide forever. And what you have done, and they that turn many to righteousness, shall shine as the stars forever and ever. And he that winneth souls is wise. 
But oh, your seed, your seed, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. God says they'll be there. And that's where our covenant comes in. That's where the promises come in. That's where our faithfulness to them come in. And that's where we must be so concerned that every one that God has given us in our families will the circle be unbroken. And if we have loved ones that are outside of Christ, oh, how we need to pray for them and beseech God that he will save them and bring them to Jesus Christ. Oh, to die without Christ, to go out into this eternity about us which is nothing but darkness and which has in it the pains of hell for all eternity, that frightful judgment that awaits the ungodly. And it's an hour such as we have tonight that every single one of us as we go into the new year said, Oh, Lord, save our family, save our children, save our grandchildren, this generation, the next generation, the next generation. And these are the burdens that we have. All of us must be concerned about these matters as we look yonder to that final consummation of a new heavens and a new earth. And Isaiah says, Thy seed and thy name shall be preserved. Thy seed and thy name shall be preserved. One of the things that I think I'm going to do, in fact, I, I, I really believe I'm looking forward to it when I get to heaven. We get into this great period of all eternity. I uh, like to go into the recording chamber where God has the records. And I'd like to ask the gentleman who keeps that great recording chamber if he'd turn me back to the days of Charles Haddon Spurgeon and let me listen to some of his preaching. I'd like to go into that chamber and say, please, will you turn me back to the days of Savonarola and let me listen to some of his preaching. I'm cut off from that by the centuries that have passed. And yet I'm afraid, I'm certain, that when I go to do that and I listen to their sermons, I'll say, oh, how impoverished they were. How, how limited was their discernment in the light of the fullness of the revelation. But there's one who will be able to expound the word to us. There's one who will be able to explain it to us in which there'll be no flaw, there'll be no error, there'll be nothing lacking. And that one is Jesus Christ. And here is the promise. A new heavens and a new earth, they shall abide. And there shall be righteousness and our seed and our name shall be there. What are you going to add in 68 to your name? A good name is rather to be chosen than silver and gold. And he who steals my purse steals trash but he who felches from me my good name robs me of that which does not enrich him but makes me poor indeed. It's the name. We have a name. We're concerned about our good name. And when they smear it and when they abuse it and when they try to destroy it, 
we seek to lift it up as a testimony to the truth of God. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for this New Year's message. We thank thee for these great passages as we close the prophecies of Isaiah. They're here for us. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And we thank thee that when we come into those glorious moments which are ahead of us in thy certain purpose, that they shall indeed be so glorious that the former shall not be remembered. And we shall realize how limited it all was down here now except the knowledge of Jesus Christ who died for us. Father, we thank thee for Jesus Christ tonight. Lay it on the hearts of some young man, some young woman, some young people to say, Lord, we will serve thee. We will be in the Reformation movement of the last days. We will help in the great testimony to build the Bible Presbyterian Church. And we thank thee that thou hast brought us in this history to this moment. Father, we're a little flock. The world hates us and despises us. The apostate leaders of the day would like to destroy us. And those who won't stand but who take a middle position want to discredit us. But Father, thou didst say, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. May we have a name and a seed which shall abide unto the new heavens and the new earth. And there may we lay our trophies down, and may all our glory be the glory of God. For Christ's sake, amen. All right, let's sing now this closing hymn, the last one here for the year. I need Jesus. I need Jesus.
mission. You've got an hour, a little over an hour and a half. If you want to go out and walk around in the snow, just don't throw snowballs. Don't do anything like that. And please, everybody come back at 11 o'clock. Everybody. You boys and girls can stay up tonight. Wouldn't hurt you to see the new year come in once in a while. I appreciate so many of you being here tonight. Thank the choir. You've been pretty good tonight. We appreciate the fact that you stood behind the pastor. We're very, very grateful. Our hearts are very mellow tonight. They're very tender. And we're grateful to God for everything. The old year's going. We're getting ready to start out a new one together. So let's all come back, every one of us. And if some of you don't want to leave, well, I'll give you a cot in here or something. We'll, we got a place in here where you can rest. But, or you can just sit around and talk. Somebody wants to serve refreshments, but I didn't like that idea. Not in the church. We start it, we'll get, that'll get a lot of other things going. I find out that once you start something around here, it's too bad. So we're not going to start that in this church. We're not going to have coffee hours here. If you want to have a coffee break, when you go home. All right, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank thee tonight for this great revelation. We thank thee for our church and our choirs and our people. And we've come a long ways together, our Father, and you've been good to us. And now may we just enjoy the fellowship of thy people standing on the promises. Bless every heart, and may all our families be together in that new heaven. For Christ's sake, amen.